as speech pathologists, we, we do really get it. We understand the importance of communication and, and social connections. And it's important to learn that how one way of treating or, or working with a, a client isn't necessarily going to be what works for another client in a different state or from a different tribe. If we've got assessment findings that are robust, then we don't have to make any presumptions. And I strongly believe in the value and worth of what we do and the difference we make. Hello, and welcome to Speak Up, Speech Pathology Australia's podcast. Each week, we feature a conversation about an area or topic related to all things speech pathology. Let's hear what this week's contributors have to say. Hi, it's Annika, and thanks so much for tuning into this week's Speak Up Conversation. To recognise Deafblind Awareness Week from the 21st to the 27th of June, we are so thrilled to have Speech Pathology Australia's Erin West chat with Dr Meredith Prain in this week's episode. Meredith is an experienced speech pathologist and is the National Head of Research and Centre of Excellence Deafblind at ABLE Australia. She is also the Project Manager of Deafblind Information Australia at Census Australia. Basically, she has an absolute wealth of knowledge in the area of deafblindness. Meredith mentions many resources and references in her chat. These have been compiled into a reference list and can be requested by emailing speakuppodcast at speechpathologyaustralia.org.au. Hope you enjoy the conversation. So hi everyone, I'm Erin West. I'm one of the professional practice advisors at Speech Pathology Australia and today I'm going to be having a chat with Meredith Prane. So... Meredith, welcome. Thanks, Erin. So today we're going to be having a chat about your area of um, interest and extensive experience, uh, which is deaf blindness. So can you tell me a little bit about what is deaf blindness? Sure. It's a good question to start with, Erin. I think people assume that people with deaf blindness are like Helen Keller, so totally deaf, totally blind. <laughs> um, but most people with deaf blindness would have some functional vision or hearing so mm -hmm. it's it's not that common to be have total deafness and total blindness but we consider someone to be deaf blind if they have a combined vision and hearing impairment or loss and that that affects their communication access their mobility and access to information so it's described as a unique and isolating disability by deafblind australia okay. and i think the 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 usefulness in sort of classifying people as as having deafblindness is that it opens you up to a heap of resources and networks and support um, that you might not know is there if you didn't know to look for it. And people with deaf blindness are incredibly diverse. There's a, a huge range. Um, they're considered to be a very heterogeneous group, um, but the, all of them share those commonalities of challenges with communication, mobility and access. Okay. So it sounds like a really interesting area that's possibly quite niche. I'm just wondering, how did you come to work in the field of deafblindness? It, it is a very sort of niche area and I feel incredibly lucky in hindsight that my second job was working with the Deafblind Association. 
a friend of mine just out of uni had got the job as a speech pathologist. They had a communication officer there that she applied for, a communication officer role. Mm-hmm. And the manager at the time was a psychologist and recognised it could be valuable to have a speech pathologist on the team. She <laughs> I hated it. That. that would be great. <laughs> She hated it and I was looking for work at the time So, and it was really close to home. So that was a very long time ago and I'm still there. So the organisation that was Deafblind Australia is now called ABLE Australia and, and okay. has services all up the east coast of Australia, but um, still predominantly their Deafblind services are in Melbourne. So I, I'm super lucky that all of the clients that I've, I've seen um, I've had other jobs as well. It's always been part-time, but that I have had that broad experience with a, a diverse range of people with deaf blindness over many years. So you do start to develop those skills and networks, which is very lucky. And I know that most people might have one or two people with deaf blindness on their caseload. So it's it's much more challenging when you're not um, immersed in it the way I've been lucky enough to have been. Okay. And was there, um, you know, was this something you were always interested in? <laughs> that is such a great question, Erin. We sort of people who work in the field of deafblindness joke that you get bitten by the deafblind bug. I don't think anybody <laughs> grows up wanting to work in deafblindness. You, you sort of fall into it and either love it or hate it. Um, it's, it's such an interesting area and it's interesting that... Um, The professionals that work in the area come from a lot of disciplines. So, you know, my counterparts overseas might be psychologists or teachers or physiotherapists. Mm -hmm. Communication is such a common issue for any person with deaf blindness that that people just get drawn into that, you know, creative problem solving of how are we going to communicate with this person and how are we going to develop communication. So, it's speech pathology certainly lends itself very well to deaf blindness because communication will inevitably be an issue, but it's still, um, yeah, really broad, diverse of professionals that, that come to work in the field. And, yeah, not many people grow up dreaming of working in deaf blindness, I don't think. <laughs> Haven't maybe maybe they could. <laughs> maybe they could. That's right. Well, hopefully I'll inspire some people now. That sounds wonderful. So you mentioned before that um, there's sort of specific resources. What are some of the assessment tools you might use with this population? Because it sounds really specific. Mm-hmm. So the, I guess there's two key groups that we sort of break people with deaf blindness into. So people with congenital deaf blindness, either born with deaf blindness or develop deaf blindness before they acquire language. So the assessment for that group will be significantly different and it's a lot of observation um, and really looking at that individual and how they're engaging with the world. There's there's a a tool that was developed specifically for people with complex needs, including deaf blindness, which is the communication matrix, which is a free online assessment tool that I think is really valuable um, to use with this group. I have used the triple C, but I think um, so many assessments rely so heavily on vision and hearing. And I know there's quite a few elements in the triple C that rely on vision and hearing. So the communication matrix certainly takes into account that people may have um, deafness and or blindness. Yeah. 
And that um, might be a tool that other people in the kind of disability field might have come across, you know, yes. for complex disability. Yes, definitely. Yeah. So, but that's that's one that people can use with people with deaf blindness. That's really good to know. Yeah, and and the fact that it was developed specifically for that population, and people probably aren't necessarily aware of that. Um, so, other assessments that I draw upon are assessments from an orthoptist. So, because speech pathologists rely very heavily on vision when if there's no speech, often mm-hmm. um, for communication, just understanding the level of vision that an individual has is really critical. So, yeah. I'm increasingly aware that people don't know that orthoptists exist. So, orthoptists are an allied health profession. A professional and they they typically work in hospitals with ophthalmologists who are eye doctors but there are quite a few orthoptists working in disability so Vision Australia employ orthoptists and they can be employed to do a functional vision assessment which are invaluable for us as speech pathologists because it gives us a really good sense of what the individual can or can't see and ideas around colour, contrast, size, distance, vision. So knowing if they do have sufficient functional vision to access visual information, how best to present that and just Mm -hmm. some other strategies. So um, drawing upon orthoptic assessments I think is really important and for anyone working in the NDIS, if they have... Uh, clients with a vision impairment at all, I would really highly recommend getting a functional vision assessment done just to help guide our own decision-making around communication. Also, audiology assessments are really important to have a good understanding of what the client can and can't hear and whether they have an ear that might have better hearing than the other. So that will guide your your strategies for, for others working with the person. So my colleague Sheridan Forster uh, has started doing brief interaction assessments and you can look Mm -hmm. on her website about that. I find that a really valuable approach with this group as well, who often have very idiosyncratic and individualised ways of communicating and interacting. So it's about looking at the individual at where they're at and what communication behaviours they actually have available to them and sitting down and seeing how you can engage with that individual and and actually documenting what works with that person, what they responded to, if they if you could get some turn taking going, what what it was that you could use to to get that. So you know whether they like hand clapping or um, or responsive to to sound and and sound making. So that that's another um, strategy and assessment strategy that that I would use. Okay. Um, and what are some sort of key considerations in, in when you're thinking about intervention with people mm-hmm. with deafblindness? Mm-hmm. So um, prognosis, it's good to know what the cause of the deafblindness is and to know if it might be progressive. So children, for example, with Usher syndrome, will their vision will deteriorate over time. So just being aware of that and, and knowing that other strategies might need to come into play. Um, communication partners are a critical component of working out the, the best approach and the best way forward. I think 
working in the disability sector generally like it's community based so you're always wanting to build up the skills and capacity of the people around the individual so it will yeah I'd agree with that in disability definitely (laughs) it depends so much on their sort of willingness or capacity whether they're willing to learn sign language or um what what they're open to you know we can recommend things but I think it's it's critical that as speech pathologists we're working with communication partners really closely to build their skills really um, developmentally depending on wherever they happen to be at so I work with a lot of support workers and you can need to go sort of pretty slow and steady with them and it can be a very long slow process so keeping in mind who the communication partners of the individual are and and what their needs are so many adults so I work with adults predominantly and support workers are the, are the key and having a very long-term approach I think is important because anyone working in the disability sector knows staff change turnover is pretty high and making sure that you've got systems in place to to continually be upskilling the the support workers and the communication partners of the person with deaf blindness. I find that often the person with deaf blindness has a lot more skills than the support workers. So it's really around building the support workers' skills and the the environment, the communicative environment, rather than working directly with the individual with deaf blindness. Okay, so it's kind of thinking about um, not just the different way that you might approach therapy, but in thinking about the different model of therapy that you're actually working with or intervention. That's right. So I've really jumped, I haven't really touched on intervention at all, have I? I think so often it's it's so much more basic than what I would like to be working on because <laughs> that that's the critical factor that they've got the communication partners involved. So when we're looking at intervention, definitely looking at touch cues, looking at approaches like intensive interaction to really get that social turn-taking and that social connection and developing relationships. Um, I won't go into lots of detail about intensive interaction. People can, you know, look that up on YouTube or um, online if they haven't heard of it. Um, there's a series of booklets that I use all the time um, that were developed by the DeafBlind International Communication Network that you can buy through Cantalis or Perkins, and I can put um, a link to those. They, they've, there's heaps of videos, but they show they've done a lot of research on how infants develop, and so then they look at how you would um, translate those processes for people with deaf blindness. So really looking at attunement principles and all of that very early childhood development and how you do it in a tactile mode. So tactile turn taking. Um, but also I was just speaking to someone before this podcast. We receive people with our tone of voice and our facial expression. We know we've been heard and understood because if we say, oh, I had a terrible day, that our communication partners will frown and say, oh, no, tell me about it, and we'll hear the concern in their voice and see their facial expression. People with deaf blindness really miss out on that. So it needs to be done in a tactile mode, feeding back the intensity of their body movement or the, the same body part or the direction of the movement. So mirroring them in that tactile way so that they feel seen and heard, and that that's also a way of taking your turn with them, using their 
um, movements to to show that you're interested and and take your turn as well. So, I mean, this is a short podcast. I can say an entire day on this stuff. Um, so I guess that those are some of the resources that I use. So those booklets, intensive interaction. Um, Sheridan Forster, who I mentioned, does the brief interaction ses- assessments, has developed a, a, an approach called the Hanging Out Program, which is another really useful tool to get support workers actually sitting and spending time with the person with deaf blindness. So I guess, yeah, those are some of the intervention approaches I use. But I haven't really touched on people with acquired deaf blindness. And I think they're a group that largely don't get worked with by speech pathologists, but I think speech pathologists have a really big role to play with that group. And traditional oral rehabilitation programs aren't really accessible for that group because they rely very heavily on lip reading or relying on vision. And so in the past, I've run really peer support groups, but guiding them to discuss strategies that they use, to discuss adaptive assistive technology that they might use for supporting them with um, conversation and discussing environments, modifying the environment, so adjusting lighting, adjusting, you know, modifying or eliminating background noise and just getting them talking about what works well for them, difficulties they're having and sort of supporting them to support each other and also coming with some even advocating for themselves and and getting better at asking for their needs to be met. So that's another group that I think do miss out that we could be doing a lot more work with. So if people are really interested in this area, it sounds like you obviously you've got a, a wealth of knowledge and, and really strong background in this area. But if people are wanting to know more, where would you direct them for some more information or to perhaps is this something where they could potentially look at some supervision or, or mentoring in this area if it's something they're interested in? Mm-hmm. So there's there's a website called Deafblind Information that is an Australian website and there's some great stuff going on with that website at the moment and there are going to be some workshops run around Australia on working with people with congenital deaf blindness. So I'd really encourage people to uh, follow that, to keep an eye on that website, but also even sign up to the Facebook page. It's called Deafblind Information if people are on Facebook. Otherwise, the dates are in the events section on that website. If you just Google Deafblind Information, that, that's what will come up. Um, so there's definitely some useful resources there and some ongoing training that people can access. Um, also on the Able Australia website, there are some really useful resources. If you click on resources and go to Deafblind resources, there's some useful videos on communication um, and just, you know, the Deafblind alphabets and things like that. There's a couple of other um, websites I think are really useful so Perkins e-learning website they've got lots of great stuff on deaf blindness lots of great stuff on cortical vision impairment I know more and more speech pathologists are starting to see kids with cortical vision impairment Um, so it's good to start getting a bit of um, better understanding around what CVI is and how to work with those kids Um, and the next sense website so Next Sense used to be called the Royal Institute of Deaf and Blind Children. They're in New South Wales. They've rebranded as Next Sense, but they have a heap of great resources and training as well. So those would be my go-tos that I'd recommend. Um, 
But, yeah, I guess people can contact me at Able Australia as well. We also have a community of practice that I'd recommend people joining if they're interested in this area. So we meet for two hours every two months and it's a um, group of allied health professionals from all around Australia and we always have a different topic that we talk about around deaf blindness or sensory disability. That would be an amazing resource, I think, for members. That sounds wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything else? Any other final comments? I know we've we've kind of rushed through a, a very large and very complex field in a short space of time, but I, yeah, I think I got a bit too detailed <laughs> at one point. No. But um, I guess it gives people a flavour of the work, and so I think um, people feel very hesitant and reluctant to take on clients with deaf blindness. I think they see them as very complex and concerned that they don't have the skills but I'd really recommend people do get involved because if you don't maybe no one else is um, there are some great resources out there and some support so it, it is a really rewarding area to work in and you can develop some great skills um, so do take on clients and there are some local groups around Australia so Deafblind Victoria I'm based in Melbourne they are running regular cafes. So it's in the city at, at a building in Flinders Lane. So even just going along to immerse yourself in that deafblind world and start to meet some people with deafblindness, I think um, even as a volunteer or, or to develop your Auslan skills, I, I guess my main, main ending note would to be please take on clients if they get referred and, and get involved with this. Um, really diverse and amazing community oh that sounds wonderful Meredith thanks so much for your time today um, and we will put some some links to some of the things you've discussed and some uh, places to go for further information but also uh, your contact details that could be so that members can reach out if they'd like to know more and perhaps come involved in this wonderful field great thanks, thanks Meredith thanks Erin We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your colleagues. Thank you for listening and bye for now.